Episode 22 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and with me in the studio is our producer, Aurora. Hi. And hope everybody recovered from Thanksgiving and has not had to loosen the belt notches too many times. Hehehe <laughs> <laughs> is right. I won't tell you how many notches I had to loosen. But enough about waistlines. It's too depressing a subject. Let's talk about Lyme disease. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, we have a great guest today. Her name's Andrea Caesar, and Roar, why don't you tell us a little bit about Andrea? Okay. Andrea H. Caesar was born and raised in New England, an avid traveler since her teenage years. Andrea has been to 36 countries and relishes in learning about each country's culture and languages. A graduate of American University and the School for International Training, Andrea holds a BA in International Relations and an MA in teaching English to speakers of other languages. Andrea then spent several more years working in Stockholm, Sweden until 2004 when she was referred when she was forced to return to the USA due to her struggles with her undiagnosed disease. Andrea is a passionate voice for those with Lyme disease and a chronic and chronic illnesses and writes about her experience as a 28-year victim of the disease and its related co-infections both in her book and in her blog. Determined to spread the word about chronic Lyme disease, she hopes to help Millions by sharing her story. Thanks, Roy. And here's our interview with Andrea Caesar. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you too. I'm excited. I haven't done that. I actually stopped doing interviews a couple months ago. Oh no. Um, to no, it's actually for a good reason. I feel I had done 104 interviews internationally, oh, and I felt like it was time to start living my life with Lyme instead of being stuck in it. But um, after a break, I'm ready. I'm, I'm uh, actually back at it. I have a whole new thing about to start, so I'm excited. Well, to, uh, to I'm honored that you took my call. Well, thanks. I, there's no reason to be. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> I always feel like it's so funny when I, you know, I did um, National Geographic uh, radio and CBS News and Fox News, and I look at all these things, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's just me. <laughs> You know. Well, yes, and there's some, I've been reading your book this morning, and there's such an openness about you that people want to connect, I think. Yeah, I think people do, and I, you know, I do actually answer every single email that I get from um, book fans, and I, I started calling them fans because now when they find me at conferences or at Dr. Jensek's office, they literally want selfies, they want signatures and autographs, I guess they are. I mean, it's so funny for me because I just have a message that packs a punch as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm out there for awareness and um, and I am a person that does not stop. Um, so when I decided to stop, it was a tough decision, but it was like, you know, at what point do you start living your life again? Um, so... Yeah, it's it's been uh, a nice break, but I think that this will be a really nice sort of way to wean myself back into it, you know, and I'm still not in remission yet. I'm, I'm almost there, 95% there, but 
I'm not sleeping through the night. And as soon as I sleep through the night, then I can consider myself in remission. You'll consider yourself in remission. Yes, sleep is sleep is the 800 pound gorilla. It's the pillar. Yeah, it's the pillar. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So if you're not sleeping right and everything else is right, yeah, forget you know, it. There's something wrong. Yep. You know, they've got gotcha. I don't know. One of my one of my gurus. He's uh, his name's Sean D'Souza, and I've been mm-hmm. following him for years. He's an Indian who moved to New Zealand. Oh, wow. And uh, he, what I followed him was to help with marketing. So I'm an acupuncturist. And you go to okay. acupuncture school and you learn acupuncture and have no right. idea to run a, how to run a business, right? I'm still right, right. 20 years later, still figuring it out. So he was one of the people I followed early. He was a cartoonist and then got into marketing and essentially was, was teaching everything he was doing. And he was very humble and very straightforward. I just I fell in love with him. Anyway, he says one of the best ways to motivate yourself is to go out there and promise something <laughs> yes, to your exactly. public. And they will, he said they will keep you, uh, on That's course. The, absolutely. The power of declaration. I, yeah. mean, I declared to my daughter this morning who's going to be sick in January. She's having a little bit of a hard time with this now. And she said, I miss when you used to be happy. And yeah. And I looked at her and I just said, look, you know, when mommy gets sleep, once I get sleep, it's going to be different. And um, we are actually, this is actually pretty public. We're on our way to move to D.C. Um, And so I said, you know, when we move to D.C., that's going to be a time when mommy can do much more stuff. And um, I will move. I I really believe that. And you'll probably, since you're an acupuncturist, get this. I'm a very person that believes in the universe. And I believe that, you know, Things happen to us for a reason. I know I wrote this book for a reason. I mean, this book came out of nowhere. And um, it just happened. And I realized, like, this was my purpose. And for some reason, I know that I there's some percentage of whatever it is in my healing that is psychological, the you know, the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual side, mm-hmm. that I will not be able to completely heal until I start over. I need to be in a house that's not my sick house. It's not where I was on my IVs. That's not seven miles from my parents that come over every single day, twice a day to check on me, and I'm almost 40 years old. You know, I need to really move away. Um, and I think it's not as much moving away from Lyme as it is moving into my new life. Yes. So um, I'm very excited about it, and I take her down there, and, you know, she's excited. So... There is a new beginning coming. <laughs> Fantastic. So where in D.C.? I haven't decided yet. Um, I actually lived in D.C. I went to American University. So I, I was there in school for four years, and then I worked for a year. Um, and I'm thinking probably the Northern Virginia area, mm-hmm. maybe. But mm-hmm. I have a lot of college friends that are still there, and I just feel like a system is key. So that's probably be what, what I, that'll probably be what I do. Now, you did your master's at American, yeah? No, I did my undergrad um, in international relations, intercultural communication. Where'd you get the and master's? And my master's in at uh, the School for International Training in um, Vermont. Oh, okay. I had it backwards. Yeah. My so I grew up in DC. Oh, cool. I'm one of the few people who were born there. That's awesome. Uh, and my mother-in-law went to American, and she got her master's in teaching English as a second language from there. Oh, there you go. Okay. So that's- <laughs> There and you go. She, she was, I actually didn't even know they had that. They they do. That's so interesting. And she um, hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. I just didn't know they had it. Uh she uh missionary for years and years and years awesome. in South yep. Africa. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I um, I think that D.C. will be a wonderful place for my daughter to grow up. We're in a very rural area of New Hampshire right now um, where I moved because I was sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't know what was wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, and then I got sort of better and then knocked. And you know how it's sort of up and down with Lyme and, um, until I was diagnosed um, after I had had her. You know, she had been home for two years. And, um, and then I got diagnosed. So we've been here sort of with a support system of my parents and um, it's just been quite a ride. But, you know, I see Dr. Jim Seck in D.C. So I'm down there about once a month, every six weeks, something like that. And um, and every time I go down there, it was actually my father. I was going to grow. I was going to actually move back to Rhode Island where I grew up because um, in this sort of mission to move away. <laughs> right. And um Looking at houses, and that's a chance. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. And my dad said to me because he, um, until the last three trips to DC, has always come with me because I'm a single single mom. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, Andrea, every time you're in this city, you just light up. Mm-hmm. Why don't you? Why don't you move here? Yeah. And I said, because I thought you guys had slit my throat for taking your granddaughter away. <laughs> <laughs> Then once those, you know, once that idea was in my head, there was no turning back. Hmm. That became the the goal. So um, I'll probably start renting in the next couple of months, and then I'll move her after she's done with kindergarten. Very cool. Now, let's talk about your daughter for a second. You refer to her in her book as Minnie, yeah? Is that her nickname? I call her Minnie, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That was partially um, to keep her anonymous, and I did actually a really great job of that until I dedicated the book to her. <laughs> then I had a line moment. You outed your daughter. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I spent so much time putting Minnie in, and I don't even really call her Minnie. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I, ref- I don't call her Minnie. I refer to her as Minnie. Okay. So she really is just like me. <laughs> she, she have a mini me? Yeah, she's a mini me for That's sure. So That's why I call her mini. That's great. <laughs> Children are a blessing. Yes, absolutely. And this one, I mean, I I hit the jackpot. She's just she's so empathetic and understanding, and just gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, even though it's hard on her, you know, she's she's recently said, you know, it's really hard for me when you can't get out of bed. Yeah. And what five-year-old says that? And I'm just like, oh, you know, crush my heart. Yeah, exactly. And so this morning we had this great conversation about it. And it's, you know, you can talk to her like an adult and she gets it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, Lyme is rough on the families and that's partially why I wrote the book as well. Um, because, so- you know, it, I've gotten letters from husbands saying, you just saved my marriage. Why do you think that is? Out of all the refrains through Lyme disease, that seems to be the most common thread. Yeah. um, I believe, um, you know, I've written a lot of byline articles about invisible illness and how difficult it is. Um, You know, a lot of people think we're just lazy or we get into this rhythm of being sick. So we stay sick when they don't really understand that, like, all we want to do is get out of this. And, um, and I think there's also this aspect of the babesiosis, which creates this nasty Lyme rage in us. So, um, 
thankfully I am past the babesiosis and treatment. But you know, that's a really hard aspect to as a as a support system, as a lover, as you know, who whatever it doesn't even it doesn't even break up marriages. It breaks up you know, broke up me and my fiance's uh relationship. It breaks up family. You mm-hmm. know, it it alienates siblings. It you know, people don't want to talk to you. So one of the most common threads that I see is that um, Lyme patients often become very isolated because of their, um, what other people think is attitude. And it's really not attitude. It's not laziness. It's not um, sort of this acceptance of being ill and I'm never going to get better. It's not a woe is me. It's not Lyme rage, I'm really, truly so angry at you that I want to scream at you. It's actually brain damage. Yes. And so once people, I think um, this particular husband had said when he read a couple of my chapters, he realized that his wife could have written them. That this was, this was not, it made all of a sudden him realize that it wasn't her, it was the illness. Right. And he could stand behind an illness, but he couldn't stand behind a person who was, who had these sort of uh, personality traits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I just interviewed M.M. Dryman and she's up in Maine and mm-hmm. she has a thesis that the witch trials in Salem, that they mm-hmm. were infected with Lyme. Oh, Wow. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting? And so interviewing her, I did it kind of, it was a Halloween special. I was like, okay, this will be interesting and fun. And the more she talked, the more sense she made. It's like, she's not, she did lots and lots of research and it makes wow. total sense. I mean, she, she, she comes apart it from kind of like an ecological point of view and a cultural point of view and a medical point of view. And it just all comes together. It's like, you know, that's entirely plausible. But here, so here's the deal. So back then you could put the understanding and it wasn't a good understanding, but we could explain, okay, they're a witch. Okay. We understand why you're crazy like this, but we don't have anything like that now. Mm-mm. It's just, it's all Dr. Phil. You're just a bad person and you need to get your shit well, together, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like that 16-year-old last week that was released from the, from the Massachusetts Psychiatric Ward. I don't know if you read about that I because missed... it was proven that he had Lyme. Uh, Finally, he got out. I just I just spoke with a young woman out in Washington and she was put in the uh, mental wing by, mm-hmm. by her neurologist, not by a psychologist, mm-hmm. by her neurologist and lost essentially nine months of her uh, 18th year. I mean, what a brutal time to, to be stuck. Scary. just like this 16-year-old. Yeah. It was the same thing. You know, it was a Lyme diagnosis, but uh, it's just, it's, it's painful yeah. to hear these stories. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's really what I wanted to do. I with the book, it was, you know, I was so, I looked for a book when I was first diagnosed that was going to tell me what it was like to be in treatment. Mm. And all I could find were books about Lyme diet, Lyme science, Mm -hmm. Lyme doctors, you know, and and I couldn't find anything that was just real. And so I decided that I really needed to have a piece that would humanize it. And the only way that I could truly humanize it would be to recollect my life and how Lyme had woven its way through every piece and part of my life since I was 11 
when um when I contracted it. Um and and then through to when I was thirty six. Um and then the only way to truly do this was by blog format. I was gonna let you into my head every single day mm-hmm. and let you know exactly what I was thinking, completely raw, no hold barred. I mean, I let everything out um <laughs> in that book. And um and and to you know, to, currently it's been fine, um, but you never know. It was a big risk, you know, for me to do that. Um, yes. In terms of you know, I was allowing myself to be mentally, emotionally, physically naked in front of the world in order to say we need to humanize this. Everybody, take take a step back from your microscopes. This is a human condition. There are people dying. There are people, yes, I could afford, actually, I really couldn't afford, but I was able to, you know, and I, nobody knows this. People get, I get angry email because nobody, you know, people say, not everybody can afford Dr. Jemsek's, you know, treatments. Well, right. the truth is I couldn't either, but we took out mortgages so that we could, you know, so people don't really know the finances behind it, but that's fine. Um, but I did this so that, you know, to fight for the people that can't because it's so ludicrous that we're not covered, that it's not even, you know, it doesn't even exist. Yeah. You know, I, I walk into half of my, I've, I've been lucky with doctors. I go in and I tell them, like when I would go into my surgeons before the book was um, written, I would go in with my file and I march in every time with this like three inch file. And I say, um, you know, this is what you're dealing with. This is what you're going to find when you open me up. Now, this is not going to be your everyday surgery. You think it's going to be because I look healthy and I'm totally there. But when you get in there, this is what you're going to find. And I'm thinking for um, a good example is my gallbladder surgery. I've had so many surgeries. It's ridiculous now. But my gallbladder surgery. When you take my gallbladder out, you're going to go in expecting a perfectly, you know, maybe a sluggish uh, gallbladder. Because I had a HIDA scan that was pretty bad. Um, but what you're going to have a problem is getting at the gallbladder <laughs> because there's so much connective tissue around it right. that, you know, you, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. And he's like, okay, okay. And then when I was out, he was like, you should be a Lyme counselor. And he was like, I've never seen anything like this. He was like, there were layers and layers and layers of connective tissue. And then one of the sickest, sickest gallbladders he's ever seen, yeah. which is hilarious because I never knew I was having gallbladder episodes because <laughs> everything else hurt so much. I didn't right. Yeah. <laughs> you can only hurt in so many places at once. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I decided to do this as a service um, and as a way of, you know, really putting my foot down in front of society and saying, you know, there are. There are not thousands of us. There are millions of us, you know, that are undiagnosed um, and diagnosed and and enough is enough. You know, we're changing the conversation now. And I think this book really has changed the conversation. It's at least alerted a lot of people Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, a lot of people have read this book that that you wouldn't think have read this book. And I have gotten um, correspondence from some medical schools. that say that in you know parts of their training will now require this book as reading because they will now include the possibility of chronic Lyme. Um, they can't officially call it that, uh, but they are going to to have this as required reading, which I found fascinating in their teaching hospitals. Right. Um, 
you know, because we don't want people ending up in psychiatric wards that are having Lyme rages. We want them to be treated properly with antibiotics. I actually treat integratively, um, but I believe that you cannot beat Lyme without high-dose antibiotics long-term. Can't be done. Right, um, but there's, there's nothing like IV antibiotics. No, there's nothing. Yeah. Well, you do that, but, you know, I still, after my IVs, I've been on two years of very high-dose oral antibiotics, and mm-hmm. that was almost, that's almost been worse. Um, yeah. You know, I was much more functional with my, with my power line. Yeah. Um, even my daughter told me, you know, I miss it when you were happy, when you had that thing in your chest and you had your medicine and you were fine, <laughs> you know, you, you know. Well, that's... I was you, like, I wasn't fine. I was, I did this medicine left you went to bed. <laughs> I was a mess. <laughs> When I interviewed uh, Dr. McDonald about that, he so he believes there's a incredibly strong case to make a connection between Lyme disease and Alzheimer's. No, oh, for sure. And so his his point was, you know, with IV antibiotics being easily available and and pretty much pretty safe as drugs go. Mm-hmm. Uh, like why, why not treat? And he said, that's the only way to get the blood levels high enough with the antibiotics to get it through the blood ba- brain barrier is through the IVs. Absolutely. And, you know, it is, anyway, it's at what point? It's not, it's not only that, it's also taking a, you know, I have a flu. I'm looking at them right now. I haven't taken them yet this morning because I don't want my speech to be slurred. But, Thank you. you know, I take a slew of neurotropics, mm-hmm. you know, that that actually I need to stabilize my brain until I get to a place where I don't need them anymore. I've been able to, thankfully, you know, my seizure activity is much less. I didn't know my whole life I was having seizures. Mm. You know, they weren't grand mal seizures. That was the only kind of seizure we knew about. So what so, t- What were your symptoms for their seizures? Um, well, I've had um, limbic seizures, which are um, where, in my case, um, there are a slew of them. I could just be sitting... And all of a sudden, just start crying, but not because I was sad. It would just be tears running down my face, and then I would then I wouldn't know why I was crying, so I would start really crying, um, right. and then it wouldn't stop for a long time. Then there are those things where you just start hysterically laughing and you can't stop. That's mm-hmm. another kind of seizure. Then I have one that's very rare, and I still have this one, and we're still treating it. Um, it's um, we think it's from the hypothalamus. We're not quite sure. Um, but it's a sneezing seizure. So anytime I eat anything, I start to sneeze for 40 to 50 times without stopping. Uh, and that's torture. That's, I've had that since my teenage years and that's just really, really difficult. Um, because you get a headache from that. You sneeze that many times. It's just like, oh. I say, yeah, it hurts at some point, right? Absolutely. So thankfully a couple, um, uh, Lamectal has been very helpful for that. And, um, you know, a couple other drugs that I take for that, and if it gets really bad, I'll take a, um, an Ativan. Um, but, you know, I come to this table having worked for six and a half years with a naturopath mm-hmm. <laughs> and running a natural apothecary. So for me to be, you know, all of a sudden taking all those drugs, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Isn't there something naturally that we can do? <laughs> 
you know, he's a Lyme literate naturopath. And unfortunately, and I started his treatment, I did it for six months and he looked at me, he said, Andrea, I am just making you worse. You are beyond the skill of my expertise. You need a neurologist. You need to see Dr. Jemsek. You mm-hmm. need, you know, and he was like, I, I, you know, cannot do harm to you. Um, and he was right. I mean, Dr. J took me off meds for a solid six months before I could even treat antibiotics with antibiotics because I needed to stabilize my immune system and my, and my neurological system. Right. So. Right. It's, well, it's, everything has its limits. Every tool has its place and there's no mm-hmm. one tool. And Lyme is one of those maddening or maybe the maddening disease where it's so personal and it needs mm-hmm. to be treated on such an individual level. You know, there, there yeah. are definitely categories, you know, like, like clouds have categories, but each one's different. Oh, and that's exactly actually what I always say is we're all snowflakes. Yes. Every one of us. And so I can't tell you what's right for you. Yeah. I can tell you what's worked for me and I can tell you my opinion on things, but I can't give you a medical opinion because I'm not a doctor, but I do feel that I'm an expert. Um, and I feel that I'm an expert not on the scientific end, but on the experience end. And uh, sometimes I wonder which is more important. Um, you know, it's it's very important that the scientific experts respect, listen to, and understand the 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 experts of experience. Um, and I feel that I'm one of those people. Well, and thankfully, I have an audience which is really wonderful. I have an audience of scientists and, and doctors who believe in me and listen to me and, um, you know, allows me to be a part of a very important series of um, presentations at iLabs. And um, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience and it could have been everything, but, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to get when I published this book. Um, so, but it's hard because it's what I explain to people is that, you know, Today's society demands, I mean, especially for women, demands that, you know, we be super women. You know, we're supposed to be powerful professionals and Pinterest goddesses in the home, you know, and sensual lovers and mothers who cut their kids nitrate-free, you know, turkey sandwiches on homemade bread into shape, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, when you've done a illness like this and you're expected by society to be all of these things, you feel worthless. And that's not a good way to you know, to enter attacking such a terrible disease that has no roadmap. There's a book called More Work for Mother. It's mm-hmm. it's quite old. And their thesis is every technological advance actually takes more work and places it in the home. And they start with things like the washing machine, the oven, and go on and on and on. Before, nobody had an oven, so you couldn't bake your own bread. Right. And now you can get a you know little convection oven, yeah. right? And so the expectations before a cake used to be kind of like a, a, you know a zucchini bread or something like that was a cake, and now you have to have a decorated uh, mini me cake or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, that looks like oh, it yeah. was done. Her first thing, oh, you have to have a special one that she can stick her face in. Yep. Oh, yep. I'll never forget my doctor Sue's doctor Sue's teapot cake for the tea party we had when she turned two and I had to make it I had to make it myself. It was my this was prior to my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I was going to be that mom. Right. And so I made this really cute, crooked 
um, teapot and everybody had little crooked teacups and, you know, it was the doctor's tea party. Yep. And, uh, and I spent three days on that cake, yeah. you know, and I, why? I have the best cake maker now. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. We'll pay her anything. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're very competitive. Oh, right. I'm and very competitive with myself and the, that's the worst. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And That's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things I want to go back to that you mentioned, you've been very generous with your time, so I want to start uh, wrapping up here, is mm-hmm. one of the things that happens once you really understand that Lyme disease and the co- co-infections exist, all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. I mean, that's been true in my practice. Like Mm -hmm. all my patients who come in now, it's like, I wonder if they have Lyme disease or something like it. And a fair number, I think, do. Uh, And even if they don't believe it or don't want to get tested or do get tested and come back negative, you know, I've started adding in some herbal antibiotics and things like that. And it's it's very interesting to see them get better with that. Yeah. And – uh, so, so that's the first thing. So how many people do you think out there are infected with some sort of chronic, I'll just say bacteria to cover all the different things that it could be? That, sure. What do you think? I have heard the number 40% hmm. of the American population. I believe it to be bigger. Really? Um, you know, it is now understood and accepted by most um, Lyme literate experts that uh, you know, this is sexually transmitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also transmitted in utero. Yep. Um, and I believe it to be much higher. And I, I think that um, pretty much every every other house on the block um, at least has it or is going to get it. And I think that that's what is such, that's what makes Lyme such a pandemic is that if we do not recognize it now and if these people on the, you know, IDSA panel do not step aside and get their own conflicts of interest away from what's happening. You know, this is absolutely the HIV AIDS of the 21st century, only on a much grander scale. This is going to be half the population currently. Mm -hmm. If we continue this route and continue not recognizing that it exists, continue, you know, creating a situation where insurance won't pay for the proper treatment, mm-hmm. we're going to have 100% of the population with it, some of which have immune systems that can deal with it. Right. Some who don't, right. many who don't. And we are in a situation in this, you know, in this world with an environment, um, you know, an unhealthy environment in terms of work habits, in terms of, you know, our sleep habits, uh, what we're breathing, what we're eating, what a, what's allowed in our food and our personal care products. I mean, it, we are creating an environment where bodies almost can't be healthy. Um, you know, our immune systems are being compromised by the environment more and more. And so until we pay attention to all of these things on a grander scale, and thank goodness there are different, you know, there are different groups paying attention to different things in terms of those, you know, compromising factors in the environment. There's going to be no way that immune systems 20 years from now can deal with this ferocious spirochete and all of its friends. Right. Unfortunately, the history of science is such that, uh, 
things don't change until the defenders of the status quo die. Exactly. So, well, and that's actually what Dr. Jemsek said in his foreword. Yeah. And it's, it's just the truth. I mean, that's the way science works is they've, you get this idea and they'll defend it till their last dying breath. And finally, yeah. you know, they pass on naturally. We're not advocating yeah. go take these people out, but they die off and then there's room for another idea to come up. Yeah. What I, what I will find very interesting is if any of the 202 patents involved with those 12 people on the panel, um, if they go through, how many of those people then change their mind and say, oh, chronic Lyme does exist? You know, um, that's going to be what's very interesting is these 202 pending patents that have been pending for over nine years now. Um, there are millions and millions of dollars involved in those. And, and when does the greed get to take over? And, and that's going to be, I think, a, a little factor in this. But I do agree. And I also often think about, and I, I'd be very interested to know if anybody's working on how is the human body then going to evolve to to be able to survive? How are we going to look in 50 years when everybody has Lyme disease? Mm-hmm. And that's just the factor. Mm-hmm. You know, do we all have osteoporosis from the age of 20? Do we, you know, is our lifespan shortened now by 20, 20 years, which I believe is going to happen? Um, you know, how it's going to be very interesting how evolution uh, takes its place in the in the case of Lyme disease. Right. Well, the the natural. I'm going to speculate. I've no the answer to the question. Who knows? But spe- speculatively, it, it takes natural tele- selection takes time. So there will you know yeah. there's a chance there could be a big dip, and the whole epigenetic thing and how our bodies will react to this. I mean. Th- th- the research suggests that these type of bacteria have been around forever and mm-hmm. that there are co-travelers, uh, mm-hmm. to coin a phrase. And, you know, who, who knows? You know, it's just now that we're beginning to realize that, oh, yes, our, our guts are populated by tens of thousands of different bacteria that influence our health. And then it's, yep. it sounds like with the what Lyme is opening up is that, well, not only are they in your gut, but they're traveling throughout your system. Yeah, they're now in your body tissue, in your organs. They're yeah. strangling things. Or, you know. yeah. And, and then both- in my case, with osteoporosis, I mean, I'm only 39. Right. And I have osteo, osteoporosis from my C1 to my lumbar spine yeah. the whole way. Yep. And so I'm, you know, my lifespan is not going to be like my grandparents who are going to live till they're 110. I, you know, because they're, I, they're like super creatures, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then again, these are people who have only, you know, had, you know, they were virgins until they got married. They, you know, they have not had the exposure, you know, hiking and things like that, that we do now because they lived in the city, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see when that it's going to come out that it is sexually transmitted. The reason it's not coming out now is because the second they admit that it's sexually transmitted, they have to admit that it exists. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, this is exactly what happened with HIV/AIDS when when they didn't want to admit that they, that it existed because it was a gay man's disease, and then when it started not being a gay man's disease anymore. Uh, that's when they had to admit it. And so there are people out there that are, you know, people with Lyme are allowed to give blood donations. Right. And that's horrifying. Now, thankfully, 
interestingly, uh, people with babesiosis are not. And yeah. so it is recognized that something's wrong with babesia, you know. Um, and so I'm I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. And at the same time, I, I want to keep it human. I don't want to become the person behind this microscope. <laughs> it's the whole point. <laughs> it's the whole point. Right. So, uh, we, yeah. are not, we are not our bacteria. No, we aren't. And uh, and I'm not a scientist. That's the whole point. Is I want to be, I want to humanize this disease and continue to fight for it to be humanized. But you know, I do it in a very graceful way. I I'm not the one that that can go out there. I don't have the energy to go out there and be angry and um, and approach people in an angry manner. I found that I've gotten much further in it, just a graceful, smiling way, saying, you know, we need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gotten me much further than I think it would have gotten me personally um, taking another approach. So, um, well, if you have a population that's that's slanted toward Lyme rage, it's easy to become enraged. Yes, it is. It is, and um, and collectively enraged, and then you become the collectively viewed as the collectively crazy group. Yes. And so that's what I'm trying to avoid so that we can have an ear, uh, maybe the other ear on the other side of the head will listen to me if they won't listen to the others. Um, and and I completely um, feel that I'm in the same group with protesters. I'm, I'm in the same group with people that are angry about this and passionate and, you know, making a lot of noise. I just make noise in a different way. Yes. You certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> and to wrap up, uh, for people who are listening and not in front of their computers, will you just tell me about your book, how people can get it, your sure. blog, how they can contact Absolutely. you? Yes. Um, so my book uh, is available on Amazon. It's cheapest on Amazon. And so for those um, who are watching their money. Um, I always send them there. I make very little money off of the Amazon sales, but I don't care. I will never make a penny off this book. Um, but you can also order a, an autographed copy um, from my website, twistoflimebook.com. And lime is obviously with a Y. Twistoflimebook.com. That's also how you can contact me. Um, and I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash twistoflimebook. And uh, that's where I post articles and things. I have been extremely delinquent in my blog, which is also on the website, um, because I have been trying to live my life. And um, uh, it's been easier said than done. Uh, but I do every once in a while pop up there on that blog and, and give people an update. But um, the best way to stay updated with me and how I'm doing is on my Facebook page. Nothing here. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Andrea, thank you so much. You're a delight to talk with. And I'm starting to wonder if everybody infected with Lyme disease is a genius or brilliant in some way, because everybody I talk to is above average. It's really remarkable. I thank, I thank you for that. And I think that there's something to that. Um, I, I think that there is a passion uh, beyond most other creatures in those of us who have who have Lyme, and I definitely think that there are, um, while we have parts of our brains that are, 
very damaged and need attention, I do think that the functioning parts are over-functioning. And I, I find very many type A personalities who are getting stuff done in amazing ways. I think that people with Lyme who are living with Lyme and surviving and creating um, all different kinds of things with Lyme are geniuses. So thank you for recognizing that. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You too. One of the things that Andrea was saying, which is she had a lot of really good things to say, but one of the things that kind of stuck with me was right at the beginning when she was talking about how much of a stressor, how much stress, I should say, that Lyme disease put on relationships. Yeah, Lyme disease can really torpedo uh, close relationships and even friendships, uh, marriages. It's brutal. And part of it, I think, is that the disease is so hidden that the symptoms are so strange and they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And and then if you don't get support of the medical community around you, then your close others are saying, well, you're just crazy. And it, it unless you have a really tight relationship that can handle a major, major stress like that, yeah, it can it can really tear things apart. Yeah, and not only just the uncertain, the frustration of the uncertainty of not being diagnosed, but the whole neurological factor of Lyme as well. Right, Lyme rage itself, and the the emotional and mental changes that can happen from just being infected with the bacteria, and the the toxins and the damage that they can do. Yeah, it's it's really it's really remarkable. It reminds me of the episode. So we did a couple weeks ago with M.M. Dryman talking about that perhaps the the witches of Salem were actually just suffering from Lyme disease and think about those personality changes and the devastating effects that the, that had at that time in that community. Right. All right. If you have feedback for us, please send us an email. At feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Make sure to kind of go over to Facebook, kind of clickety-click over to Facebook and like us. Yeah. Also, visit our website for links and show notes. You'll have links to Andrea's book and her blog and her website. And our address is? LimeNinjaRadio.com. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. And Stitcher. And be sure to check back with us. Check back with us next week. We have a fascinating interview with Stephen Leslie, who's written a beautiful short book about his recovery with Lyme disease, and I I really recommend it. And the last thing before we go, Aurora, is? The Lyme Ninja Fact of the Day. The Lyme Ninja Fact of the Day. Okay, lay it on us. When ninjas chop onions, the onions cry. Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.